So I, I, I have been uh, immensely blessed in my life and in many different ways. But one of the most significant things in my life are the different people of faith whom God has put in my path. <laughs> their lives, shaped by their faith, shaped my life and encouraged my faith. My, my grandmother, who went through so many trials and hardships that I wondered how she made it through them all, and yet by faith, when she looked back over her life, all she could see was how God had blessed her, and she gave him thanks. Sam and Flossie, missionaries that got in Nigeria for 40 years, retired from the field but didn't retire from the faith. They were people whose hearts and minds were so fixed on Christ that the room seemed to brighten whenever they came in, whose faith was so real that you felt as though you really could reach out and touch it. My friend Mike, whose simple trust in God, I felt somehow rubbed off on me and so helped me in my own walk. Now, we've talked about this, and some people have the gift of faith, and that's the ability to inspire faith in others by the way they live and the things they say. But all faith inspires. People who live by faith matter. They make a difference in their world. And our scripture reading today was just a short section of a longer litany of people from the Old Testament who had lived by faith and the difference that that faith made in their world. Chapter 11 of Hebrews is inspiring, and it's meant to be. I think that even unbelievers who might read that chapter would be impressed by the power of the faith that's displayed there. And those of us who have already put our trust in the living God can't help but be moved when we read of them. As those words kind of wash over us, we realize something of the grandeur of what we belong to and the power of faith in this world. And our own faith, I think, is strengthened by it. But do you know what makes those accounts in Hebrew 11 even more amazing and inspiring? It's when you know the individual stories of those people. When you see each of those Old Testament people as they really were, not as some kind of a superstar, but simply as ordinary people whose trust was in an extraordinary God whom they serve the only God who really is God. And when you read in the Old Testament and you become familiar with their lives, the things they went through and the trials and the hardships and the struggles as they made their way through them, and when you see their sins and failures, which are so heartbreaking and even shocking, and yet you see there too God doing what he needed to do in them as he brought them through it all, as they continued to trust in him, though they stumbled along the way. So that even today, though we remember their failures, we see their faith as the most important thing about them. People like that remind us of what we can become because of the power of God in our lives. And if Christ is in your heart, you want that kind of faith. You want your life to make a difference in your circles, 
And maybe it dawns on you that if God could do that for them, they could do that in their lives. Then he could do it in yours too. And he can. (laughs) More than that, he wants to. He calls us, all of us, to that kind of life, a life of faith. But how do we get there? (laughs) That's a question, isn't it? I mean, you and I know, don't we, that faith opens the door for God to do wonderful things in our life and in our world. And we know also that the opposite is true, that God can't do very much when faith isn't present. So if we're serious about following Jesus, we, we want to be people of faith. And so where do we start? <laughs> well, how about if we start today and this morning by looking at a couple of examples of great faith, and then we'll go on from there. There are two times in the New Testament when the term great faith is used. And the stories surrounding the term are short, so I want to read both of them to you. First, from Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies home, paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that one to come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And this man wasn't a Jew, but he had great faith. That's what Jesus tells us of him. And then there's the account of a woman, and she also was not a Jew. And we read in Matthew 15, a Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying, oh, crying out, oh, uh, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. And Jesus did not answer her a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the, uh, the, their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. And again, we see here this example of a great faith. And these are the only two times in the New Testament when someone's faith was described by Jesus as great. So how is it? that these two people had that kind of faith. You're not going to like my answer. (laughs) As I'm going to tell you, if I'm honest, I don't really know. But but I think we might have some ideas as we kind of make our way through their stories and and the other things that we're going to talk about today. But those stories that I just read you, those two 
uh, incidents, uh, they stand in stark contrast to most of what we see in the, in the New Testament. And, and we might want to think, I mean, I was tempted for me to think that it was because these two were not Jews. In other words, they lacked the background and the social structure. They didn't grow up underneath the instruction of the Word of God so that any faith that they might have had was almost by definition great faith. And yet their backgrounds don't really explain it. I mean, the context of that first example I gave you tells a different story. It tells us that Jesus was disappointed that he hadn't found that same kind of faith among the Israelites. Race, ethnicity, upbringing, circumstances really had nothing to do with it. And yet, still, these two people had this great faith. And what, you said, what can we see here that can help us, maybe help us with our faith? Well, we can say this. We can say that both of them had and almost complete trust in Jesus. And then you're thinking, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, that's what faith is, isn't it? It shouldn't surprise us. But, but, but then look at them and look more closely at them. The centurion trusted Jesus so thoroughly that if Jesus would say it, it was enough for him. And that woman was willing to take even crumbs, knowing that even the leftovers were all that she would need for the sake of her daughter. You see, they trusted Jesus. I don't know why they say it. I mean, they put themselves in his hands. Their eyes were on him. They weren't thinking about themselves at all. And the other side of that coin is they didn't seem to be nagged by doubts of any kind. And again, their trust was, was, in Jesus was just almost complete. But we, we very much struggle with doubts, don't we? Yeah, we do. Every one of us. Uh, I want to say something about that a little bit later. But, but for now, I want to tell you the only thing that I can think of which might begin to resemble the kind of faith that these two people had is when a, a, a little child who's exhausted from a hard day at play climbs up into the lap of their mother or father and lays their head on their chest and falls fast asleep. You know, that child doesn't have any doubt that mom or dad are there for them. There is no question in their little mind or heart of mom or dad's goodness. It's just trust, pure and simple. And so great faith means an almost complete trust with no, or at least almost no, doubts. And I think that's a pretty tall order. And if I'm honest, I must admit that I'm often not up to it. And yet these two accounts that we just read, well, there's still more that we can see in them. So let's look at it. That Maybe it can help us with our faith. So both the centurion and, and the Canaanite woman were humble and submissive to the Lord. I mean, the centurion didn't feel worthy enough even to have Jesus come into his home. And the Canaanite woman didn't bat an eye at Jesus' challenge. She was outside the one true faith. Uh, they didn't think that somehow 
They deserved what they were asking for. They didn't act as if it was their right or, or that it was owed to them. They both understood that if they received anything at all, it was because of God's grace and mercy alone. And, I, and that seems to me to be an important part of their faith. There's something about humility that matters in faith. And, and here, what comes to my mind is the story of the prodigal son. So after he, uh, taking his inheritance and leaving and squandering it in wild living, when all was gone and nothing of value was left, when he was forced to take the most menial positions which couldn't even keep him fed, the prodigal thought about his father that he had forsaken and he knew all which was in his father's house, and he knew, too, of his dad's goodness, and so he set out to go home. But now he was going no longer as a son. Instead, it was in his heart that he would be content to be taken back only as a hired man. Now, you know the story, of course, don't you? I mean, the servant was taken back. I mean, the son was taken back, not as a servant, but accepted back into the fold and back into the family. But would it have been the same if he'd come back demanding a place in the home? Would it have been fitting for the father to take him back into the home under these conditions? Wasn't it a kind of conceit, that kind of conceit, which led the prodigal into that awful plight in the first place? Wasn't it the purpose of his desire basement to rid him of his arrogance there is something about humility that is fitting and proper to our condition as sinful and yet redeemed people i I think that kind of humility allows our faith to blossom something else i think we can see here in these two stories is the fact that their great faith didn't require them to perform some penance or make a reparation or forfeit some good thing or make amends for some previous bad act or or go on a pilgrimage somewhere. I mean, faith might do any of those things, I suppose, but, but they are not the condition of faith. It turns out it wasn't at all about what they would or could do. What was done for them rested solely on the fact that they trusted God. God's not a merchant. (laughs) His works aren't for sale. He gives them away to those who have the faith to receive Now, all of this, I think, is helpful. (laughs) Uh, That great faith is this trust that leaves almost no room at all for any doubts. But it's more than that. It's humble and it's submissive. It's not at all demanding. And it doesn't lean either, not even a little bit, on the self. And those with that kind of faith, they don't seem to think about what they can or cannot do. Their faith is in Jesus. Uh, Their eyes of the faithful are fixed on him. 
and yet knowing all of that, does it get me any closer to having that kind of faith? Or does it expose my flickering faith for what it really is? Well, I think knowing what we know from their examples does help. But I also know another thing, at least I, I think I know it, and that is that if I have to have great faith for God to be at work in my life, I'm afraid I'm in for a lot of long, empty spaces between short periods of that kind of faith. There are some people out there who will tell you, and they will be quick to tell you, that if you want God to work in your life, you've got to have great faith. Or are they right? (laughs) Or is there another way for those whose faith flickers? Yeah, I want my faith to be great. I I just know how often it's not. So here's the good news. (laughs) The good news is that God is faithful, and he will work in our lives even if we don't have great faith. He will work in our lives if we only have enough faith. And you're asking right now, well, how much faith is enough faith, right? So listen to what Jesus says. After his disciples asked him to increase their faith, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, a mustard seed is a pretty small thing. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Like, I can't even like, like get my fingers quite that close and keep them steady. It's little, right? Uh, And in that culture, it was used to express smallness. It's almost the same thing as if you and I were to say you only need a molecule's worth. And Matthew records a similar response by Jesus in a different set of circumstances. The disciples were, at that time, were not able to uh, try as they might. They weren't able to to help a boy that was demon-possessed. And when Jesus, who'd been up on a mountain, showed up, he, he set the boy free. And then later the disciples asked him, why couldn't we do it? And this is what he said in chapter 17. He said, "Uh, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The good news for us is we don't have to start with great faith. We only need the smallest amount of faith for God to work. And you might say again, well, how much? Well, the word replies to you, it can be really small, but it has to be real. So if you're in a pitch dark room, the smallest amount of light can make a great deal of difference. I get up really early, typically, and it's dark in our bedroom. And I don't want to turn on a light. It might might disturb my beautiful bride. And it's too much too soon anyway, right? And so I start feeling around my dresser uh, to try to find my glasses, and sometimes I find them right away, but, but other times I don't when I can't find them. Well, anymore, you know what I do? I reach over and I push the button on my cell phone because it's always right at the edge of the dresser, right? But back in the day when that would happen, and I'm feeling around my dresser trying to find my glasses, sometimes I would get a hold of my watch, and, and, and I was feeling around, and when that would happen, I'd take that watch, and it's the one I'm reading right now, and, and you press in on that stem, right? 
and the light shines on the dial. And, um, and it's really little. But it would give me just enough light to see, to find what I was looking for, right? It's not much. It's just the tiniest little green light. But it always was enough. Well, faith is like that. Having the smallest amount of real faith makes a huge difference. It's enough to cause a mountain to be uprooted and planted into the sea. The smallest amount of faith opens the door so God can work in your life. And that's good news for us whose faith sometimes flickers. But I have to tell you, it's more than just good news. It's also fitting. It humbles us, and we need it. You and I uh, may want to have the same kind of great faith that that centurion and that Canaanite woman had, but there is so often in that desire way too much of ourself. The danger for us sinners, redeemed though we are, is that our focus is on us rather than on our God. I think God, I do. I think he's bringing us to that place where we do have great faith, or at least um, we have it more consistently, as I'll explain in a moment. But, but none of us starts there. And part of the whole process of getting to that place where we have that great faith involves getting over ourselves so that we learn to keep our eyes more consistently focused on Jesus Christ. Humility accepts those things about us that are true, including our inherent weakness when it comes to faith. It understands that we are not yet, at any rate, not yet, what we uh, wish we were. And we fall far short from God's expectation. But then humility rejoices that in spite of our weakness, God is at work in our life. And glory to be to God, he honors even the smallest amount of real faith. The smallest of our faith turns us to Jesus. Our faith can only grow when our eyes are fixed on him. And it grows. As it grows, we become more and more aware that God works in our life, not because we're good, but because he's good. We, we realize our faith grows because of his faithfulness. Now, now what I want to do is I just want to kind of put what we've been talking about into perspective for you, I hope. <laughs> uh, you see, the way all of this works out in life is that everyone who's trusted in Christ has times when his or her faith seems to fail them. And other times when someone would look at us and say, well, you have great faith. And and that really makes sense when we realize and remember that we're on a journey. So yesterday, I have to tell you, my faith was failing. I've known for two weeks, really longer actually than two weeks, but for two weeks I knew the form, this message Uh, was supposed to take, and I have worked on it, but no matter how much I worked, it just couldn't bring it together. I felt like I was trying to build a castle with dry sand, 
as soon as something seemed to take shape, it would, it would sift down and disappear into the dirt. It's like trying to carry water in a sieve. I don't know if you can identify with that or not, but, but it, it was just awful. And I, I got to the end of the week, and now it's Saturday, and I'm at home, and, and every thought and every word was like pulling teeth, and nothing was coming together. And I threw my hands up in despair. I can't tell you how many different times. And at one point, I just thought, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to do something else. <laughs> my faith just didn't flicker then. It seemed to go out almost altogether. But almost, as soon as I thought that, it came into my mind that this, and not something else, was what I was supposed to talk about today. And so I pushed through. And nothing about it was pretty. <laughs> but here I am with the message I was supposed to preach. Sometimes that's just the way it is. Now at other times, we seem to have no doubts and, and our faith seems strong and we say all right true things. And one instance of this which stands out in my mind because it's so meaningful to me and, and it's so important my understanding of faith was when Ann and I were looking for our first church. We were living in Delaware. And uh, we'd been out of seminary, been out of seminary for a long time and been applying to a lot of different churches and nothing ever came from it, right? And then one day, I, I came home from work and my wife met me at the door and she was so excited to tell me that she'd prayed. And what she prayed was she was excited and she, what she prayed and she prayed that that very week, the church, which would be our first church, would call me. <laughs> Why was she so excited about that? Because she knew God had heard her. There were no doubts. She was just sure. Her faith could only be described at that time as great. She wasn't doubting. I was the doubter. <laughs> and you know what? That week, that very week, we got a phone call inviting us out to a, a church near a tiny town in the remote reaches of Illinois. And about six months later, we moved out there to our first church. Sometimes our faith flickers. Sometimes it blazes. Uh, we, we don't progress through this like very um, smoothly. I mean, there are lots of ups and downs and there slips backwards and even sometimes a bound ahead. But I do think this. I think the longer we live, and the longer we walk by faith, the more often our faith is strong. I mean, we never arrive. There are times when our faith flickers and fades, but, but slowly, over time, we walk with more and more confidence. Uh, confidence which isn't in ourselves. We, we discover our confidence is really in God where it belongs. And what I want to do now is just take a moment and talk about our doubts. Um, we all have them. It's no good, good pretending we don't. Uh, and with God's help, we need to face down those doubts. And there are th two things that I think can help us when we doubt, all right? I'm going to try to be brief here. But the first is simply a reminder of what we've already said many times this morning. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. When he fills our vision, there is little room left for doubt. 
Our problem is our, our minds and our eyes wander. We sometimes look to other people for help. Sometimes we look to ourselves. Sometimes all we can see is a problem. But faith is strengthened. Doubts are overcome when our focus is on our God. And then second, when you doubt, doubt, and you do, confess it to God. Do like this man did, as recorded in Mark chapter 9, after telling Jesus the sad case of his son who was demon-possessed and whom the disciples couldn't help, remember? The dad says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can't, said Jesus, everything is possible for one, the one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when he cried out for help, Jesus answered that man's prayers and he healed the boy. And when you doubt, and we all do, you confess it and you ask God for help. And do you know what that's called? <laughs> that's called faith. And where there is faith, God can work. So sometimes we have great faith. We trust almost without any doubts. And that kind of faith is always humble and submissive. It, it never leans on itself. The trust is completely in God. But there are those times. Well, we don't have that kind of faith. And what we need then is enough faith. And the smallest amount of real faith opens the door so God can work. Because God is faithful as he raises us, his children. Faith is trusting in Jesus. It's having our eyes of the faithful being fixed on him. And the thing about faith is it's not about me and it is not about you. It's about the God who lives in us. And because of him, we can live lives that make a difference in our world. Now I want to take just a little bit of time, the time we have left together, uh, to talk about a few things that we can do which will strengthen our faith. I'm only going to be brief. I'm going to talk about three only. Uh, first, uh, our faith grows when we're in the fellowship of other believers. And we spent, I don't know how many months now, talking about the church and its importance in the life of God's people. And we're not going to repeat all that now. But by now, you ought to know that God uses the things which happen here to strengthen us and to change us. And Hebrews reminds us in chapter 10 and verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. People who are committed to the body of Christ, the church will grow in their faith, and they have help growing in their faith from others. And besides, it's true, there's just being around people of faith, I, I mean, it encourages us, doesn't it? I, I, mean, I mean, go to a life group, meet somebody for for lunch, a Christian for lunch, come to a worship service, go to a Sunday school class. Something about just being with other Christians makes a difference. We're not the same when we leave. 
Then secondly, God's word will strengthen your faith. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There is power in God's word. And it works in our hearts and the depths of our being to reveal things there which we would otherwise be hidden from our sight. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is food for our souls. And those who are faithful in spending time in his word, I can guarantee you, if they're believers and they're reading God's word, listening to hear him speak, their faith is going to grow. There is power in the word of God. And finally, I want to say the prayer will strengthen your faith. In the garden on the night he was betrayed, Jesus said to his disciples, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's strength in prayer uh, prayer to overcome our weakness. And there's also an intimate connection between prayer and faith. In Luke 18, Jesus tells his disciples, a parable to encourage them to pray and never give up. And there, he he again promises to answer our prayers, but he closes with this question. However, I want you to keep praying. And and I'm going to answer those prayers. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Prayer not only strengthens faith, it's evidence of faith. Now, there are other things that you can do with strength and faith, too, uh, uh, other than the ones I mentioned. I think they're probably your best. I mean, you can read great Christian books, right? And uh, I and many others have been encouraged tremendously by that. C.S. Lewis, George uh, uh, MacDonald. I mean, people have spoken to my soul, and I love those books. Listening to Christian music, man, isn't that great encouragement? I mean, it's fun. You can do it while you're driving in the car and have it on when you're playing at home. And all of that stuff helps. Singing hymns yourself and praising God helps too. If you sing like I do, maybe it doesn't sound so good, but it matters inside of your heart and soul. And uh, then there's another powerful encouragement is getting out into God's creation because he reveals his glory to us through that creation. I mean, there are all sorts of things that you can do which might help you grow in your faith. Anything which helps you to turn your hearts to Jesus will encourage you in the faith. So sometimes we have great faith and we trust almost without any doubts and that kind of faith, again, it's humble and submissive. It doesn't, uh, doesn't lean on itself at all. The trust is completely in God. But in those times when we don't have that kind of faith, we need enough faith. The smallest amount of real faith opens a door so that God can work in our life. And because God is faithful, he's begun a good work in you, and he will keep on working until he's finished. The thing about faith is it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about the God that lives in us. Because of him we can live lives that will make a 
big difference in our world. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Help us, Lord, to strive, to want, to move in that direction so that our faith is strong, that it's growing. But help us, Lord, when we find ourselves falling, to remember that just the smallest faith, the smallest trust in you matters. It opens a door for you to do a work in us that we would otherwise not know. May you be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.